Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Um, two guys? <laughs> yeah, dude, seriously. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I'm like, I don't have a bio for our guest host. And then I yeah. realize that we're back to being the podcast we were. Yeah. Just you, buddy. Yeah, we went from normal to doing nothing to like having a guest all the time. Mm-hmm. This two is guests. Like, at one yeah. point. To, uh, up to two. Um, back to just you and I. I don't even know. Here's what I'm hoping. We don't talk for three hours. And I don't have to edit for like a whole half of a day. That's my hope. <laughs> you had said that to before record. I was like, oh yeah, watch this. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm gonna talk really fast. The whole episode I'm just going to talk really fast like this. So just... <laughs> like, well. I have mixed feelings about this because part of it makes it, I feel like, oh, all the guests have finally gone home and we can just kind of relax now. Mm-hmm. But then I think it's kind of lonely at the same time. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what we to can, do. I'm conflicted. We can have more guests. Um, but it's kind of nice. Just the two of us. We don't have to like, for me, you and I basically have a good flow. So I say something. And then I'm done, and you know just to start talking. Whereas, like, when there's a third person, it's like 10 seconds of awkward silence. We're waiting for someone else to say something. We don't have to worry about that now. At some point, we're going to have somebody on we don't like, and we'll we'll put on some unedited. <laughs> just just 10 minutes of unedited. Just And not, like, not we don't pick 10 bad minutes. Just 10 minutes, and you'll see what Rob has to deal with, which I'm not blaming the guests. And they're, again, it's it's kind of like they come into our home, and they're really not sure if they can put their feet on the table. So there's kind of like this awkward, you know yeah. what I mean? So Even David anyway. James Keaton, who is like the most presumptuous of all of them, he'll pause and wait for us. So it's just the thing. He won an award for most presumptuous, didn't he? he Recently yeah. somewhere? Yeah. Did I um, not see that somewhere? Was it in the Hugo? Hugo? No. The Hugo Awards? <laughs> no, no. But <laughs> The yeah. Wonderland Award for most presumptuous weird author? Yeah, yeah. I, I will say, while we're on the David James Keaton topic, his comparison of Bizarro Con photos and like <laughs> Noir Con photos or whatever it was, mm-hmm. one of the funniest things I've ever fucking read in my life. So it was like at crime, crime conventions yeah, like, are pictures yep. of people trying to punch things, pretending to yep. punch things, mm-hmm. and... Bizarro, Bizarro Con or people pretending to fuck things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so true. It was excellent. So. I like, he did um, one. Um, there was another crime convention that happened earlier, and he was just talking about like uh, all the different kind of photos that crime writers were posing for. It was really funny. He's a funny guy. Maybe, maybe he'll guest host something soon. It'd be nice. It would be. But. Until then, um, let's see if we can get into a rhythm of reviewing a book, just me and you. Yeah, so the book that we're going to be talking about this week is Zeros by Chuck Wendig. Um, here is his bio, in case you didn't hear it like four episodes ago when we talked about Aftermath. Chuck Wendig is the New York Times bestselling author of Star Wars Aftermath, as well as the Miriam Black Thrillers, the Atlanta Burns books, and the Heartland Young Adult series, alongside other works across comics, games, films, and more. A finalist for the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer and the co-writer of the Emmy-nominated digital narrative Collapsis. He's also known for his popular blog, TerribleMinds.com, and his books about writing. He lives in Pennsylvania with his family. That's hot off of the presses of Amazon.com. It's great that he updated that to include these the best-selling author, because 
again, listeners probably don't understand how many times we have to edit a bio for somebody that's on Amazon because yeah. it's like their their book is forthcoming and it's been out for two months or something has to change. Or if you're Frank Edler, you have to live have to, update, yeah. <laughs> update it while we read the show. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> um, zeros. So a little dated for us, right? This has got to be four or five months ago now that it's been out. Yeah, but I I blame the lazy summer of podcasting. Well, it was totally lazy summer of podcasting, and he had another book come out like this week, but it's the sequel. I'm guessing it's in that Atlanta Burns yeah series. Yeah, so um, we didn't want to go back and read the first one of that. So um, zeros. Here is the uh, synopsis, also from Amazon, I believe. An exhilarating thrill ride through the underbelly of cyber espionage in the vein of David Ignatius's The Director and the television series Leverage, CSI Cyber. And person of interest. There's a CSI cyber. Yeah, that's where they just you know get on um, Snapchat. Well, yeah, okay. Or like Snapchat roulette. <laughs> I'd watch that. I'd watch. <laughs> they're just in a room oh. and they're just like, oh, it's just reactions like, oh. <sighs> and person of interest, which follows five iconoclastic hackers who are coerced into serving the U.S. government. An anonymous style rabble rouser, an Arab Spring hacktivist. A black hat hacker, an old school cypherpunk, and an online troll are each offered a choice. Go to prison or help protect the United States, putting their brains and skills to work for the government for one year. But being a white hat doesn't always mean you work for the good guys. The would-be cyber spies discover that behind the scenes lurks a sinister NSA program, artificial intelligence codenamed Typhon. You think that's right, Typhon? Am I saying that right? Yeah, it's like Tyson, but with a PH, Typhon. Like the chicken? Yeah, Mike, Mike Tyson. Yep. Typhon that has origins and evolution both dangerous and disturbing, and if it's not brought down, will soon be uncontrollable. Can the hackers escape their federal watchers and confront Typhon and its mysterious creator? And what does the government really want them to do? If they decide to turn the tables, will their own secrets be exposed and their lives erased like lines of bad code? Combining the scientific-based propulsive narrative style of Michael Crichton with the eerie atmosphere and conspiracy themes of The X-Files and the imaginative, speculative edge of Neil Stevenson and William Gibson, Zeros explores our deep-seated fears about government surveillance and hacking in an inventive, fast-paced novel sure to earn Chuck Wendig the widespread acclaim he deserves. (laughs) Hold on a second. I'm pretty sure he already got some widespread acclaim like four episodes ago. Isn't that right? He's gotten so much acclaim on this podcast. Oh, well, I, I, I meant down the rest of the world, but yes, in this podcast, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just talking about this podcast because our podcast is widespread, right? It is widespread. It spreads mm. real wide. It spreads all over the place. Yep. I really am a big fan of the TV show Person of Interest. And Are you? Um, yeah. I have uh, I have not seen any of those. As, as noted, I didn't even know there was a CSI cyber. Here's the problem. Is Leverage also on CBS? No, Leverage no longer airs, but it was on like TNT or something like that. I don't remember exactly what. Yeah, it was one of those, but really good. Yeah, I pretty much don't watch anything on CBS. I am planning on watching Supergirl. Um, And I don't watch anything on TBS or TNT. I'm going to tell you, the only TV show I think even matters at all right now is Scream Queens. Yeah, you may have talked about that recently on the podcast. I have not gotten around to watching any of that. Oh, it's so good. So good. Too busy catching up on Vampire Diaries. Hmm. I mean, that's a thing. It's totally a thing. Do you want to talk about the season? Because there's... Nah, never mind. I have to get someone else on the podcast to talk about Vampire Diaries. 
Yeah, you definitely would have to get someone else. I don't know the first thing about vampires or diaries. <laughs> All right. Um, zeros. A great synopsis. I mean, I think it really, really kind of... Um, Covers all the bases. We'll go a little more in depth as we typically do. Um, the book starts out with um, Hollis Copper, who is a God, is he FBI. In the NSA? FBI. An FBI agent. And basically the first five, six chapters, whatever, is him going around and kind of collecting up this uh, this ragtag group of hackers and uh, and basically uh, arresting them so that he can get them put into this uh, this program where they take hackers to a remote location to a hacker farm and, and have them hack stuff for the government. You say hacker farm and I imagine like when they, when they're going to kill the dog and they don't want the kid to know they're like, he went off to a farm and he's going to play with other dogs. This is exactly what was going to happen to these hackers. I mean, it's essentially, (laughs) (laughs) but it actually, they actually did go to the farm first. Yeah. So after, um, Agent Copper scoops up these uh, five people. So it's kind of like episodic. You see a chapter where, it, you know, someone's caught in the act and the next chapter is someone else caught in the act. They go to what is um, what's called the Hunting Lodge, which is basically in the mountains in the east somewhere. Um, these hackers are all... It's almost like a, like a compound, which is multiple buildings and stuff like that. Like half compound, it's described kind of like, it sounds like a compound because it's like gated off and everything with huge fences, but when you get in there, it's almost more like a like a campus with multiple buildings and a cafeteria and stuff like that. And um, the hackers are all kind of grouped together into what's called a pod. So these five people all show up and they're put in a pod together and they really don't get a lot of information of what they're doing or what their purpose is. But at the very beginning, they're each put individually through um, a series of tests called pen pen tests, like penetration tests, where they try and hack different websites of different companies and stuff to prove their skill. And if they don't um, succeed or if they don't do well enough, they're threatened with certain repercussions, such as um, the depth which is um, uh, they have to watch the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yes, all the Johnny Depp movies. Every Johnny Depp crybaby. Yes. Fucking Ninth Gate. Ooh, I still have to watch that. Alice in Wonderland. Alice Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah, that looks terrible. Everything. If you wanted to torture me with Johnny Depp movies, it would be anything he made with Tim Burton. That's, well, not Edward Scissorhands. I love Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, it's still got that Tim Burton like. Anyway, so the Dep really is a deprivation tank, though, where um, you're just kind of put in this pod, and you're in water, right? There's water, and there is totally water. Yeah, there's water, but you can't see anything. You can't. It's like all your senses are cut off, so you're stuck in just like this. Um, deprivation of all your senses, and it's supposed to be maddening. Which every time I read that, I'm like, man, that sounds so peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's I, I'm sure it's terrible and I didn't think it sounded peaceful <laughs> but I did think to myself like it really doesn't sound like that big of a deal <laughs> but it's not the first time I've read about that or seen something about that and yeah, yeah it's supposed to be horrible you remember in Fringe that's what that's what he would make what's her name do so she could yeah. cross over to the other side yeah he also gave her LSD so, though so well yeah there's that I guess that probably makes it a little different but changes the game a yeah little. I, I don't know I, I guess <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm going to, when we're done with this episode, I'm going to fill the bathtub up 
and I'm going to go sit in the bathtub in the dark <laughs> for like an hour. But then see the problem. I think the problem with the deprivation chamber is it was 12 hours would be what the, like your first, or is it six? It started six, with six. I think and it started built six, it up yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, the horror really is in how pruney your fingers and toes would be at the end. I fucking hate that. <laughs> what did after you get like fifteen pee? minutes? Well, you're in. Well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. Um, but th- have you ever heard of? There's apparently this room that really exists that's um, so soundproofed that you can't like that. There, you can't. Nothing makes a noise. It is just absent of sound altogether. Like your own noises that you make. Like you wouldn't hear yourself talk? Well, I don't know about that. Okay. But it's supposed to be like maddening. People can't last more than like a minute in that that thing. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. Okay. But we'll we'll take it for what it is. I mean, listen, the government, if they've they've yeah, if it's there's a way to torture people and they figured it out, I'm sure. Yeah. Johnny Depp movies. Johnny Depp movies. <laughs> <laughs> so as Rob was saying. They're all here. They have to do a series of tests. And, of course, in good form, almost none of these people get along because they're all their personalities are so completely varied. We covered kind of quickly a synopsis what type of hacker they were. Um, but you've really got um, – and, and we'll kind of go through the list, right? Chase is really our protagonist. I think he's the one we're supposed to kind of root for and follow through through the story. Did you get that feeling too? Yeah. Yeah, he's the guy that – yep, 100%. So Chase is the least hackery in that um, – he kind of, I don't know, lucked is bad lucked, I guess, into into the moniker because he had uh, tried to expose. Well, he had successfully exposed a uh, a sexual assault that occurred, and and he basically did it by like hacking someone's Facebook for all intents and purposes. Um, Alina is a now. You might have to explain this to me if you know what this means, because um, I, I did not read the synopsis before. It's an Arab Spring hacktivist is Arab Spring a thing, or is a Spring hacktivist a thing, or what the hell does Spring mean? Arab Spring, dude. So, um, uh, oh, I'm not going to know a time on this, but like, uh, in the recent years, um, the Arab Spring refers to kind of an overall, um, I think it's more of a youth movement. So, like, the youth of these different countries in the Middle East are, um, revolting against the right, the oppressive governments and rules and stuff like that. So, it's, um, there was a point that kind of kicked off the Arab Spring, and I don't remember because I've tried to stay away from politics so much in the last few years. But um, there's been some stuff like when, um, oh shit, I don't, I, I'm gonna bumble. I don't really know exactly when it happened, but there was like this point that was the beginning of the Arab Spring, which was like this huge pushback from um, the youth over things that were happening in the Middle East and stuff like that. Well, spring makes sense then. Kind of a yeah. new rebirth of yep got it yeah so she is um she's probably the the white hattest of all of them um, to use terminology from the book um as she does a lot to fight tyranny in in other foreign governments you've got again who's a troll and and easily the most entertaining character in this book am i correct yeah but she's kind of a bitch too like you don't like her but you you're amused by what she does that's absolutely that's my take yeah she just go for people who don't know what a troll is. It's somebody who just tries to rile people up. That's really their only purpose in in life. And and she's very successful through the course of this book. Um, Wade, who is uh, far older than the rest of them, he's been mid late fifties, I think. If I'm correct, right? Yeah, he's your hippie. He's the cipherpunk. Um, 
yep. hippie, anti-government, conspiracy theorist type of person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like lives in the middle of nowhere with with limited access to this stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, afraid the government's going to run everything over. DeAndre, a young African American hacker who um, has basically figured out there's easy money to be made in in hacking using those uh, dummy boxes on. Uh, Credit card pumps that scan scanners. I don't know what they're called. Whatever. They, they copy your credit card information. He uses that. So um, very, very different, which, of course, any type you have, anytime you have a story with a group of people that are pulled together, I mean, part of the dynamic is how different they are and how they interact with one another. I really like him, too, because um, as part of, like, the introduction to his character, there was conversation about he was talking about there was all these things that he didn't have or he wanted, and he discovered that... Um, the easiest way was just like not to steal those things, but to actually just steal money. And I was like, "Damn, that's fucking brilliant!" It is brilliant, and and uh, worked pretty well for him until uh, Hollis Copper caught up with him and uh, and dragged him into this this mess. Yeah, so um, all these different characters are given different tests. Uh, the penetration test we talked about earlier, pen tests, um, and in their I think it's their initial week <laughs> or so. The penetration test is what Rob gives his dates. <laughs> Wait, who's being penetrated? <laughs> I don't know. I, I try not to ask those questions. <laughs> Let's keep this PG, buddy. Um, I'm just I'm going by what was in the book. Um, so in the course of of the first week or so, they're given like every day they're given a new test, and as the time goes on. Some more than others, but everybody kind of starts picking up on something. So either something that they're doing one day is related to something that they're doing on, you know, an earlier day. Or they're recognizing the name of something or, or, you know, things like that. So they're starting to get the inkling of maybe there's something bigger going on than just like these random tests that they're being given. But they haven't really communicated it to each other, so it's 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 set up almost like everybody's starting to like get a weird feeling about what's going on, and it kind of builds over the course of these tests up until um, they kind of all nobody flunks out, but there are you know there's some stuff going on with people getting sent to the dep to watch Pirates of the Caribbean for doing bad things like getting in fights and stuff like that. Um, but they all kind of, there's this one day where they all finally get together to do um, a group activity. Group, a hack, can we call it a hacktivity? You could call it a hacktivity. I knew you were going to like that one. And um, that's when they start making plans to, things are starting to get suspicious enough where they're like, mm, maybe we should get out of here. So while they're doing what they're supposed to do, they're also thinking, what's going on? What's the bigger picture? And what what can we do to get out of this? Yeah, during the course of this, you have some other drama um, happening with some of the other um, hackers who who are you know basically imprisoned in this in this compound, um, which adds to you know fuel to the fire. There's a there's a, a well known hacker that's there, like one of the top hackers, and and he takes an immediate dislike to Chase, and there's some kind of competitive drama there um but yeah really we're learning more about these characters and and overall the the story unfolds um really good way you know i i know that this probably isn't the part where we talk about story, talk a little bit about story but i i was very impressed at where the story started and where the story ended up and, and what a nice smooth um 
I don't know, slow is not the right word because slow implies bad, but it was a nice slow transition to where you look at where you start at the beginning of the book and where you ended up at the end. Yeah. You're like, holy fuck, how did I even get here? You know, it was just, it was, it was smooth paces to get there. So this farm compound um, lodge um, situation takes up a good, good portion of the book. I mean, what we've given you here is at least the first half, if not 60%, I think, right? Right. Yeah. Um, during the course, and only because they mentioned it, because I was really, I, without having read the synopsis, I was like, how much should we talk about this? Really, what, what it comes down to is that Typhon is, um, is a, a form of artificial intelligence, and we're we're led, you know, we're we're not led to believe. We're told pretty early in the book that Typhon selected these five people, right, um, for this project. So, um, Typhon, artificial intelligence. Um, I know it's coming. I know it's something we're we're gonna see. Um, but that's really where it starts to get kind of real science fictiony. Up until then, um, you know, everything seemed really real. So you know what I mean, like like stuff that real life, yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, but but today's stuff, you know, stuff that happens that you see on the news and and you know, whatnot. And I'm glad Wendig at the end adds a uh, a little postscript about running bulletin boards in the early days of the internet yeah. and stuff because I was kind of wondering like how like how much research do you have to do for this? But it sounds like he's got a pretty good handle on on how computers work and stuff from some of uh, I'm assuming mostly from his early days in computing. Is I don't think he has time to study this shit now with six or seven books coming out every year <laughs> but um, um you know typhon this is where, where it starts to get real kind of science fictiony and, and and maybe a little bit futuristic because we're actually dealing with 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 ai and um a really cool ai from the standpoint of being able to predict things, being able to bring together the right group of people to do something. I mean, some of it was, was pretty elaborate and, and really well told. Yeah. And one of the things that was kind of emphasized from the beginning was this wasn't like, um, your all-star celebrity hacker group. This was like a bunch of misfit weirdos that it wasn't really apparent why that they were, they were brought there or what value they carried. But, um, when you find out that this Typhon is who chose them and it's an artificial intelligence kind of makes you think, all right, well maybe that, maybe this thing is seeing something that the humans can't, you know, that uh, seeing kind of their greater value or seeing what, I don't know, like predicting what, how their talents could be used. And that's why they were chosen. So that was kind of a cool effect. Yep. Shortly after they've kind of figured some of this, most of this out, you know, shit hits the fan and um, we kind of go from there. Our, our characters go from being locked up to being on the run. Hijinks ensue. Crazy fucking computer internet stuff happens. And uh, I think that's probably it for plot. Which is terrible because, like, we could probably honestly talk for about an hour and a half just about the fucked up things that happen after shit hits the fan and why and how it works and everything. But I kind of don't think that it would be nice to do that, right? If someone wants to read the book. Yeah, and that's what I said. It's it's the book gets really crazy, and I don't think we're really giving it a fair shake and explain you know what I mean? That's what I said. The transitions are really, really smooth. Mm-hmm. And you go from your normal everyday stuff to some pretty, pretty wacky shit going on. And wacky in, in a in a you know, crazy kind of fashion, things that we can't really process. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, 
good. It's a lot of fun, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't want to spoil this for for anybody who might be interested in reading it. Can I ask you? Um, all right, so I'm going to ask you a question, and we can you can decide to strike this, but I don't think you will. As in the first half or so of the book, when it was um, the buildup in the in the compound in the hunting lodge, were you starting to gain kind of the suspicion that this artificial intelligence gathered these people because um, it thought they were a threat to it, or that it was um, trying to see what its own weaknesses were? Did you get that kind of feeling at all? I did. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was kind of it was overt enough. But it was like a common theme that you should pick up on. It was an intentional thing. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, and at first, I guess, I don't know how early, but, you know, as they start to put together that the places they're trying to to, to hack into all are linked somehow. Right. That That's really when, yeah. Other than that, it was real basic. And, and you know, the, the things they were given were seemingly unrelated, you know, as, as their first penetration tests go. Um and then you have the fun stuff like Chase can't hack anything to save his life, <laughs> you know. So knowing that that this 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 computer system, let's call it that, because that's really what it what it is when it's rolled out to us at first, picked him. You have to know there's a reason that he's got an ability, so to speak, that you know that the others don't. And, right. and it's kind of fun to try to figure out what that's going to be and how that's going to play out with with the legit hackers, you know, the the people who are really good at what they do. Yeah. Can we talk without saying anything about the other half of the book? I just want to. All right. So, really, what I want to say is, like, <laughs> I don't know if we can talk without saying anything. Like, where you and I just sit and quietly think about it, <laughs> just like staring at the screen. Um, I guess what I mean is, like, without revealing f- details, I want to say that when the shit there's like a noticeable change, there's a moment, there's like a page where it happens where shit goes from like. How it was and how it's going to be. And from that point on, the book was just fucking amazingly like crazy in like the best way possible. Yes. yes, it was. It reminds me, and I don't know if we've ever really, if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but a book that comes up 20 plus years later uh, that comes to my mind a lot is um, Dark Rivers of the Heart by Dean Koontz. Okay. Which was, there was a movie. Um, with Will Smith and uh, uh, Johnny Depp. Yes, and Johnny Depp, but um, <laughs> Gene Hackman. I don't remember what it was called. Oh, uh, you know, I'm Enemy of the about State? Enemy of the State. So I'm pretty sure that Enemy of the State was a direct rip of Dark Rivers of the Heart. And if you remember that movie, I do. Um, it was all about crazy surveillance and stuff, kind of like this book gets into artificial intelligence which i'm sure is only a little bit off from where we are now maybe a couple of years maybe 10 years that movie did for um you know nsa style surveillance what what this book is is doing for for a, a computer kind of taking over in in our in our society like now like this could happen tomorrow um the same kind of just crazy shit and it's this guy who gets involved in a situation and then suddenly he's on the radar of this this black ops agency that wants the person he's with really is who they're after this this woman 
Um, but that whole like being able to zoom down and see a license plate and you're like, what? This is a fucking thing. And then, you know, over yeah. the course of the next year, you start to hear things on the news. They're like, oh, yeah, we can satellite pinpoint and, and you know, and, and tell you what color shirt you're wearing if you're walking on the street kind of craziness. That's how this was. <laughs> and in that same I saw Enemy of the State. It, it's 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 not even fair to put it in the category with Dark Rivers of the Heart, at least, you know, I don't know how well it stands up to the test of time. I read this. It had to be in 91, maybe 92 when it came out. This book reminded me of that in rolling out what could happen to us with the current state of things the way they are, what the next switch that could be flipped is. I could see that, yeah. I'm looking up. I'm so interested in talking about Enemy of the State. I just looked it up on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, directed by Tony Scott. Oh, okay. I don't know who that is. Name sounds familiar. Aliens? Do you do Aliens? That's Ridley Scott. Tony Scott's okay. brother. Dude, okay, I was... Is, is it his brother, really? Yeah, they're brothers. Oh, oh, oh okay. Tony Good. Scott died, uh, committed suicide like a year and a half ago, but um, Tony Scott did stuff like... Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Top Gun, <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days of Thunder, Last Boy Scout, True Romance, Crimson Tide, Enemy of the State, Spy Game, Man on Fire. Um, he did the TV show Numbers... Just- just blockbuster movies is what yeah, you're the saying. Dude was right? just a, yeah. Between him and his brother, like they are like the fucking royalty of um of Hollywood. Um with of making good blockbusters. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but Ridley Scott did like fucking alien and shit like that, so never uh, seen it. That's well that's not that's not Ridley Scott's fault. No, um, no you're you're probably right. <laughs> Apologies to Ridley Scott <laughs> for blaming him. I'm trying to see if there's any connection to the the Coons book, but I don't see it. I, I um, don't think there is. I think I actually tried to find that when that came out. I mean, just yeah. seeing the, I remember seeing the trailers for that on TV and I was like, Jesus Christ, this looks like dark rivers of the heart. Right. So. But I, I totally get, I get what you're saying. Like, um, that really did kind of peel back a layer back then that nobody really thought about. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of almost like a logical evolution of like that, what that would be in our time. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. And and not that we haven't seen, you know, artificial intelligence computers or, or whatever. Um I, I know there's a bullet point you have for later, but you know, we, we reviewed <laughs> two books. But those were already but those took place after it was way too late. Right. That wasn't the transition into it. That's like it's the future. Computers run the world. Um Terminator, you know, gave us glimpses into the future but did very little for what that transition looks like. Yeah. And all those stories, you make a good point because all those stories essentially look at um, there's a moment where when the AI kind of gets loose, it's perfect. And there's like no hope. And this is like, there's an AI that wants to get out there, but it's worried that it's going to be vulnerable. Is kind of the overall theme, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and, and we didn't have one of the other common themes in those types of stories is usually... Um, the the action star, right? So yeah, it's a it's a yeah. high action, and and I'm not gonna say there was an action in this, but none of these people, um, you know, none of them. The the one guy because he lives in the mountains or whatever is like familiar with guns and stuff, but these aren't. This isn't um, <laughs> Will Smith and this isn't the Mozart conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, it's not the Mozart conspiracy. Yeah, it's not a people with you know people who 
can can fight their way out of this compound and and you know and and take on everything that comes because of the the special physical attributes that they have you know they actually have to use intelligence and in some cases just flat out you know hiding and running right. so it's it's a little more interesting to me than you know than, than something where someone says well I've got this big gun I'm going to go take everybody on so great great concept and um like I said without spoiling anything that second half of the book when the change happens man it is awesome and there's like so much more action like it kind of turns more into an action suspense kind of situation and without saying what he does the character the compiler is just such a creepy and awesome fucking idea yes yes it is i'm going to agree with you yeah yeah good stuff man yeah. i don't know if the, yeah i, I want to tiptoe around because like I hate it when books are so awesome that you don't want to spoil stuff because we sound like we're talking about a lame book and it's just not that at all. Oh no, I, I agree. But again, that unraveling has to happen by you, the listener, should you choose to read this book. That's right. We respect that shit. It's just little, there's few things in the world we respect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, I was trying to put together a list and I was just coming up <laughs> so for a short time. It's book plots. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only other thing I really want to say about the book, maybe before we move on to quotes, is um, I can't stress enough how um, how well paced it is. So I, I say this because it really reminds me. <laughs> there's a few books that we've read that were like this, and, and they're very typically, um, I don't want to say they're bestsellers, but they're definitely destined to, to be bestsellers or or the, the drive is there to be a bestseller. But the kind of shorter chapters very fast paced and the transitions are really nice and smooth fluid. Um, but I mean, it reminded me of like James Patterson. It has you that know? mass market appeal, um, structure to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And it worked really well in this book. Um, if this book was written a different way in the same story told, I could see where it would, could really drag. And I didn't really feel that at all through, through the course of this book. There were, there was no drag. Yeah. Think about it too. Wendig's done, Fuck, probably like a dozen books by now, right? Yeah, about that. So he's kind of got it down. He knows how to pace stuff. He knows he knows how to keep the the reader reading. So, um, when you read a Patterson book, it's like that's all they know, or it's been edited. It's kind of been edited down to that. But I think that this was like just a skillfully crafted book. I could be wrong. I could be fucking dead wrong, but <laughs> this motherfucker just got lucky. That's all it is. <laughs> Wendig's like, you don't know what they did to me. No, I'm kidding. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I feel like there's uh, what, I guess what I'm trying to say is I see the Patterson's of the world being like, this is a formula that gets a result. And I see the, the Wendig books as being, this is just me being a good writer. Yeah. I'm going to agree. You ready to do some quotes? Hell yeah. I don't have that many, oddly enough. Um, and most of them were, were kind of um, kind of funny. Um, do you want to go ahead and start? Um, some are just going to be snippets because I like the way that um, um, that Wendig does like analogies or similes and things like that. Um, everything starts to slew sideways like a car on black ice. So, like, someone gets kind of fucked up, and that's how they're feeling, as if they're just kind of off balance. And I thought that was a really cool way to say that. Mm -hmm. um, 
this is uh, from very early in the book, and this is um, they're all kind of kind of talking, and I believe this is uh, this is DeAndre that says this. Yo, whatever. What I do these days is a victimless crime. Money isn't money anymore. It's all just ones and zeros. We're all just ones and zeros, Wade says. Trick is figuring out which one of us are ones and which one of us are zeros, which is kind of where the, the name of the book and, and the name, I guess, we could, I don't think we mentioned their little click. They kind of name themselves the zeros. Right. So, But I, I did like that whole concept of we're all just ones and zeros. That was, um, and it comes back later. I don't know if I, I had that highlighted as a quote. Um, and I know it comes back later on from a dis- different person who's kind of casting a judgment on the group. Um, so yeah, it's a cool little moniker. Here's a, um, here's like, this is like when I'm like, okay, I'm reading Wendig when I read a quote like this. This is Wade talking to, what's her name? Alina? There is an Alina, yes. Yeah, this is Wade talking to Alina, and this is early in the book, so this is when the pod kind of just first came together, so everybody's getting to know each other. They haven't built those kind of, like, friendships or broken down the barriers yet. Quit it with the politically correct word police bullshit. I didn't mean jihad, like jihad, jihad. I just mean that you're really doing a jihad on those clothes. I mean, hell, look at you. You're folding them like it's a religious war. That's a fucking Wendig quote right there. Uh, I would uh, I would have to agree, and that did that did stand out to me too. One of the things I like, I have a couple um, lines um, highlighted. You don't see this very often, and I, I don't know if it's because it dates the text that people do this on purpose. I really liked it in this book. Um, we know that Wendig is all over the internet, right? But he mentions things like <laughs> Gawker and Jezebel and yeah. Facebook, and you know, and things that are that are typically I, I think they're avoided. Um, in a lot of stuff that that we read, because you know we read a lot of stuff that's modern, but you know when they talk about it, they talk about being on a website and they don't actually name, mm, you know, yeah. Gawker, one of the biggest conglomerates of websites out there, maybe the biggest, I don't know, but you know what I mean. It, it was nice to see some some things that were very relevant and would be relevant to his characters being young people who you know spend the majority of their time on on the internet either you know, hacking stuff or, or whatever. It, was, it just gave it a feel like you're having a conversation with someone who might drop that, you know, they read something on Jezebel versus an anonymous web I'm doing quotes, like a website. Oh, I was, I saw this on this website. That's what you would get in a lot of texts. And it was just kind of nice to see, um, the, the, you know, whatever the name dropping of things that, that makes sense to us as people who use the internet. Yeah. It gives it a little generational cred too, because mm-hmm. people a generation older than us are not going to know what that is, you know? So it kind of yep. puts it in, yeah. Older than um, us. You're an ear and generation different than mine, I think. I, I do believe I am <laughs> in a different generation. Um, this I, Apparently, DeAndre is who I, I really liked, because um, I believe this other quote is attributed to him, too. And now here he is, trapped in a room, working for Mr. Government because he couldn't keep his hand out of the cookie jar. Not because he likes cookies, but because he can't stand not having any. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm going to back-to-back two quotes. This one, no setup necessary. She wants to climb him like she's King Kong and he's the Empire State Building. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think that was the same chapter where the um, jihad happened, but anyway. Another quote that I thought was really good. This is Chase talking about um, that kind of uh, high-profile hacker that Livius mentioned earlier who did something 
That was kind of dickish. I want to go break bad on his ass with a dinner tray. I can't hack a computer worth a damn, but I can sure hack his nuts with my foot. Very nice. Yeah, some <laughs> of the humor, some of the dialogue humor in this is um, is great. I, uh, oh, who is this? So this has got to be Reagan, I'm guessing, just based on what it says. Okay, so she's talking to, to DeAndre. I guess I should probably read the whole paragraph. It'll make more sense. Man, dreads on white boys are just plain weird, Reagan says. She reaches forward and pats DeAndre on the shoulder, wincing as she does so. I'm sorry, black person, for how whiteies have misappropriated your culture. Rock, rap, baggy pants, and now dreads were the thieving magpies of culture. I like that because there was a bird reference and it was a Chuck Wendig mm-hmm. book. Yep. Did you notice um did you notice the word riffle was in the book? I did. I highlighted it because I was like, oh, we had a whole conversation about this. And I did think, is it Riffle or Rifle when I was reading it? It is Riffle. It's Riffle. I've um, been corrected numerous times. Yeah. There's a part where I think it was we're looking at uh, Alina's past because we do get it, it throughout the book. We do get the opportunity to kind of look at wh- how everybody got to where they are now. So we do kind of get a peek back into everybody, a window into their past. And... um uh, so the context for this quote is the it was young it was a younger Alina and um, her parents would read Alice in Wonderland to her and um, just uh, this quote is just a conversation between her and her young her and her parents at the time. Why are all the stories about little white girls? And her mother said because white men with little white daughters run the world. And I was like, God damn, that is fucking powerful. I don't understand how I didn't have that. Because the second you started talking about it, I could could have told you exactly what the end of that line was because it was fucking brilliant. That is like, if you want to talk about a top quote of the book, that was like, like it was it was such a throwaway little moment, but there's so such like commentary and judgment packed into there. Yeah, because it's like I don't know what it's like to be a little um, a little girl who's you know you know Iranian or whatever. A little Arab? Is that what you were going to say? That's not. That's definitely not what I was going to okay. say. If you want me to pretend, that's what I was going to say. Um, so just to get kind of slapped with that perspective is is kind of fucked up. It was like I had a little white guilt when I was reading that. As you should, as is your responsibility. <laughs> um, here's another line I really, really liked. Um, her mother's face looks like it's always smelling shit somewhere. <laughs> great description I um, um let's see i think i have uh oh go ahead how many more do you have? oh man i've got or, a ton but um okay i've got like two more so i'll let you go i'm gonna do two or three in a row here all right because they're they're just little quick one-offs um <laughs> one of one of the hackers that all-star hacker shane i think his name was is is in a conversation with um our FBI agent Hollis Copper at one point, and Copper mentions something on YouTube, and Shane corrects him and says, Vimeo, not YouTube. And Copper just says, I give a shit. And it's this fucking moment where it's like, we were so steeped in this hacker world that it was like the most badass thing anybody could ever say to not care about the difference between Vimeo and YouTube. I thought it was great. Um... There was a, another moment, uh, I think this is in the same chapter, where someone kind of set up Chance to look like he was doing something bad, but it was kind of obvious after the fact that he it was kind of something that would be beyond his level. 
Um, yeah, and it's still Hollis talking to Shane, and Shane says about um, a USB drive that's got the uh, some personal information about the guards on the compound. He says, I took that off Chance. Chance Dalton, who couldn't hack a candy bar in half? I hear he's doing better. <laughs> it's just a uh, pathetic moment. It's so telling good. you dialogue, and that's the thing that stood out about Miriam Black books too. You know, not only is it great, you know, storytelling, but dialogue, and, yeah. and he's got that in spades. Yeah, um, one more that that demonstrates this really quick. Hey, Kardashian, Reagan hisses. Come on, I don't know who. Uh, and then the the response to her is, I don't know why you keep calling me that. The Kardashians are hot. Um, they're not. Okay, Kim's kind of hot, but that one sister looks like a shaved Wookiee. She's basically a giant thumb with a wig. <laughs> Fuck, man. It's a pretty accurate description. <laughs> oh, that was good. Um, there's a character. Uh, he's just really a side character named Roach. And it, it, he's a, a guard. So he's some type of federal agent who's a guard at the compound. And he's kind of one of the, the kind of dickier guards there. But he's writing this. Um, he's writing a novel, which is just fucking great. <laughs> I was gonna read you a passage from where he's he grabs his notebook, and pretty much the setup up until that point is is that he's got a novel cooking. A hero story about an ace federal prison guard brought on board via joint task force in order to help transport a super terrorist like you know Osama, but also like Hitler too to trial. Except he's pretty sure most terrorists don't get trials, but whatever. They had that highlighted too. Yeah. Uh, that whole all right. So I got another one that follows that up. When he's done, he plans on self-publishing it, or maybe some big city publisher will want it. He'll get millions. It's good. It's a good story. Authentic. When they make the film, they'll get Vin Diesel to play him or er, play John Croach. He means, and the character's name is Roach. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like like Jack Roach. Yeah. It's like John Croach. <laughs> John like Croach. Yeah. <laughs> I have another in the theme of that quote, and this is a little <laughs> spoilery, but we all know that there's going to be a fucked up part of this book, so this is so inconsequential to the overall story. The soldier lifts his submachine gun, fires, Roach shudders, three holes in his chest, blood spatters on his notebook, it falls out of his hand, the pen does too, rolling away. He pats his chest, his hands come away red, his last thought is, I could have been a bestseller. Then the soldier fires, fires another shot clean through his head, and that's the end of James Roach. Did you get the feeling at all reading about Roach that maybe Wendig had a particular person in mind when he was... <laughs> there was such... There was a lot of categorization to this otherwise throwaway character. I will say that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think he knows He knows Jack Croach or John Roach or whatever his name is. So, um, This other one, I'm going to read the quote, but it, it, it spoke to me because apparently, and I know you will find this shocking, um, Reagan is uh is my spirit animal in this book (laughs) no surprise there yeah and uh, i'm gonna read it just to explain why because i I had this exact same feeling and thought um when i was a a teenager some people have self-righteous ethics others have self-indulgent ethics some folks are godly others are satanic but everyone has some kind of code and her code is right in line with that old magician alistair crowley do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Thelema law, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong. Though she doesn't really understand that part because she has no interest in actual magic or any of that occult crap. Crowley was a creep. She just likes that line. 
And I remember that that I believe is quoted in the Satanic Bible. And the whole concept is like, do what you will. It's other people's fault for getting in your way. <laughs> so I read that. And I was like, I know exactly what this is referencing. And I agree. And I thought the same thing. Like most of the, all of this is bullshit. But man, this is kind of an interesting concept. Um, yeah, I don't think I thought of you in that moment, but I could see why you would identify with that. Thanks. Wait, All right. I don't know. What the... <laughs> Here's one again that just shows the good writing style of, of Chuck Wendig. We've said some of the funny stuff and we've had some of the serious stuff. This is more of a serious one. No, I'm no Boy Scout. Boy Scout does the right thing because it's the right thing. I dug a hole with an ugly shovel and now I'm trying to fill it with good dirt. Fuck man, that's good. That's a good quote. I'm going to throw one more out there, and that one because it's just so fucking funny. <laughs> um, at one point, um, Reagan is uh, is in a bar, and she's kind of has this interaction with this, this woman. But the woman was probably 30, but dressed like she was 18, and she was drunk off her ass on vodka Red Bulls, and it didn't take much to accidentally elbow her drink over. And during the distraction, pilfer the phone and then smile and help this double-wide Paris Hilton clean it all up before buying her another one. <laughs> this double-wide Paris Hilton. It's awesome. It is awesome. Um, not the end on that. <laughs> But um, I have one that's not a quote, but I just wanted to see if, if you noticed this. Um, did you notice anything that made you think of Christopher Moore's books at all? No, I did not. Oh, man. This is going to blow your fucking face off. There's a part of it takes, that takes place in San Francisco. Um, talking about Kevin Mitnick, who is a... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Now that you say it, of course it does. You, you thought about that too you, in the moment? Yeah, the the homeless yep. guy. Denver, yep. <laughs> so there's a part of the book where it takes place in San Francisco and talking about whatever's uh, important to the book. And um, it, at one point someone says, whatever happened to the emperor? And Wade replies, turns out he was a homeless guy and then like goes on from there. And if you know the... Um, blood-sucking fiends bite me you suck kind of storyline of christopher moore books there's a character running through those books um and it's also in dirty job and um secondhand souls and stuff there's a character in that san francisco setting named the emperor of san francisco and he's this homeless guy so um when when that happens in san francisco and it's a guy called the emperor and it's a homeless guy i was like holy shit so it would be great if we manage to get Chuck Wendig back on the podcast for uh, an interview, which I would like to do, um, to see if that was just a massive coincidence, would I would, which I would accept and I would think was awesome, or if it was like a very subtle homage to our man Christopher Moore. I now want to see all of the Christopher Moore characters go up against Typhon. <laughs> oh shit, that would be amazing. Can we get a Christopher Moore Chuck Wendig crossover book because? I would put down some serious money for that. I I, I would as well. Um, are we ready to wrap it up? Yeah, go for it. All right. Um, no surprise, big Wendig fans um, here. Uh, this book, um, kind of different in scope from... Uh, all right, so most of... So here's what I read from Chuck Wendig. The Mirror and Black books, which are supernatural. 
Um, the Star Wars book, which if you want to hear us talk about that, there's a two hour episode you can find a couple of episodes ago. But like, you know, again, way out there, not, you know, realistic. Sci- I, you know what I mean? Like it, it, so you have to completely suspend your disbelief because there's Wookiees and aliens and stuff. The other one, Supernatural. This is a very realistic look at something that could happen in the very near future. For for all we know, the government already has artificial intelligence, and, and we just don't know it. We just know it hasn't really been developed um, by a consumer product company or, or someone who's, who's you know, it, you can't buy it on Amazon. Um, so it might be out there, which makes it um, a little scarier to kind of think about um, how things work. I also don't know if you noticed, but... Chuck Wendig is really trying really hard to get some type of internet connected refrigerator because refrigerators came up a lot in uh, in this as far as their their like internet connectivity. Um, but yeah, so things that exist and then how quickly that tide can be turned in the wrong hands or the hands of the U.S. government. Uh, apparently, in this particular book, um, fast paced but didn't sacrifice you know story transition. Um, witty and funny characters and engaging and informative um, story in so much if you're not really familiar with how things work um, on the internet or hacking I think that this is a nice um, light primer for somebody Um, more more this is better for for this book does more for hacking than Fifty Shades of Grey does for S&M you know it's a a lot more focused and and realistic at least I think maybe I'm all wrong about hacking and this is just what I think it is Um, Engaging characters, good story, um, some action. I mean, it's really got a little something for everybody. I'm going to go 4.25 stars on this one. Ooh, nice. I want to yeah. call you out. You are wrong about something. I did look up artificial intelligence on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Right now you can rent it for $2.99. <laughs> uh, $3.99 in HD. Twelve. dollars That fucking movie goodbye. was such a terrible piece of shit. It's a fucking I saw that Spielberg the movie, isn't it? Twenty fucking years ago. Doesn't matter. It's a horrible piece of shit. I hated that it's movie. Got Haley Joel Osment. It, it does. It does. It does that. Spielberg. I don't know what to say to that. I, yes, you're does. like, yes, it does. <laughs> that didn't argument. make it any better a movie. <laughs> um, artificial intelligence. So you can buy it online. You can buy artificial intelligence on Amazon. You're wrong. All right, so uh, to not to not belabor things that Livius already said, I'm just going to go ahead and say that um, there's a lot of one of the one of the things that you always kind of weigh when you're looking at a book is is it about the characters and um, the people and the emotions and stuff, or is it about the um, the premise or the gimmick of the book? So, like in this, there's a lot of talk about hacking and stuff like that. And I think Livius was saying, and I agree with him, that this is a very approachable book because it doesn't get mired down in the bullshit of hacking. It gives the hacking part of it um, its due diligence, and it does have its part in the book. But the overall idea is it's about these people and where they come from and what they do. Um, And he did a great job of that. And I think that Wendig is very, very strong with um, making a book about the people and making the conceit of the book kind of like just the dressings, you know, the set design, the window dressing for, for the actual story. Um, so in that respect, I think anybody could approach this book and not get kind of beat up by weird references to 
technology things and and pop culture and stuff like that you don't have to worry about that the story works so well that um everything's approachable um i thought that the collection of characters was not too big there is five main characters and then you know kind of a second group of uh you know important characters the the adversaries of the book and stuff like that everything was just well done and um I felt it was very cinematic, so I could see this either as a movie or as a TV series uh, very easily. So um, entertaining and, like Livia said, well-paced. All the characters were just great. Um, you heard from our quotes, it had that kind of balance of humor and, and kind of more gra grave gravity, grav grave situations, whatever, situations of gravity. I thought it was great. And then fucking that that second half of the book the part that we can't talk about was just so insane and the twist of the whole thing i was not i was i honestly wasn't expecting it but once i the reveal happened there was like this kind of twinge of like oh man how are we gonna fucking deal with this and i really kind of i was so bought into these characters because i i got to live their mundane existence that the one like the real threat was revealed it was like Oh fuck, man! We got to do something about this. So, I think the story worked wonderfully, and it's probably one of the better books I've read in a long, long time. So, I'm gonna blow this one up. I'm giving it five stars. Ooh yeah. One of the things I don't know if I made it clear enough, and in, in listening to you, it's really I think that there is nobody. Um, you tailor books, right? Because people ask you what they should read because you review books. Like, that gives you some kind of fucking authority, right? To tell people what to read. Um, <laughs> like, don't listen to me. Yeah. I, I mean, outside of, you know, somebody who's very, very narrow in their, you know, like my mom, if she were to read books, would be just like Daniel Steele romance books. Like, that would right. be it. Outside of somebody like that, I mean, I'm trying to think of somebody this wouldn't appeal to. You know, there's enough of, of today's stuff going on. There's a little bit of action. There's good dialogue. Like you said, there's good character development. I mean, there's really a little something for everybody in it, which yeah. which really is nice. And that's what mass market appeal is, right? Yeah, there is only one mass market, and that's something that appeals to nearly everybody. So <laughs> you just said mass market appeal twice in a row, but in different ways. Yep. Yep, yep. So good, good stuff. Thanks, Mr. Wendig. I did... A little extra this week, and I don't think you did. I totally did not do anything extra this week. So after reading, I the... finished. I finished. I finished this book seven hours ago. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. I did a little bit extra. So I read this book. I finished this book yesterday. No, the day before. When did I finish this book? A while ago. And last night I read a novella, a Miriam Black novella called Swallow from a book called Three Slices, which is a collection of three novellas by Wendig. Um, oh, I don't have it up, so I don't know the other names of the authors. But um, um, So interesting tie-in with the book. Um, there's three authors with three novellas. One of the authors is Kevin Hearn, who wrote that book, Heir to the Jedi, that we read for The Wheel of Meat back in March of this year. Um, so... Kevin Hearn wrote a Star Wars book we read. Chuck Wendig wrote a Star Wars book we read, and they're in this book together. But um, so we're, this is the novella Swallow. It's a it's um, a Miriam Black story, so it takes place in between the third book, which is Cormorant, and the upcoming book Thunderbird. 
um, picks up not long after the third book takes, uh, you know, left off with Miriam um, heading out west toward Colorado because she knows of a woman who she believes will help her get rid of her curse. And if anybody's not familiar with the Miriam Black series, if Miriam makes contact with you, like shakes her hand or something like that, she will see how you die. And that has gotten her into all manner of trouble over the course of three books. And so in this novella, she's trying to find this person she believes is going to get her rid of that curse. And then all kinds of crazy shit goes nuts. It was really good. It was a quick read, but it was well worth it. And I realize um, that in the absence of new, in in anticipation of new um, Miriam Black books, these little, like if there were little novellas here and there, man, that would be great. I um no, I saw that and I wanted to read that and I, I probably will based on your little um synopsis there. Um the only other thing I read was a couple of years ago there was a Miriam Black short. Um it was in a book called Girl Trouble. And I remember that being being pretty good. There I guess should be more Miriam Black shorts. Yeah. I think it's five ninety nine for three slices. Five ninety nine. On um, Amazon for the ebook, and it's um, Kevin Hearn, a woman named Delilah Dawson, and Chuck Wendig. Did she write a Star Wars book? Uh, she wrote her novella is called "Not My Circus, Not My Monkeys." That could be from Star Wars. I'll read you the synopsis for this. Yeah, it could. Okay. The number one rule of the circus: don't kill your volunteers, even accidentally. That's how your mag- that's how young magician. Crimney Stain ends up on the run in a forest where he meets a beautiful woman holding a bucket of blood. What is Melissa the answer to his prayers or the orchestrator of his ruin? That actually sounds good. I'm going to read that. That does sound pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, not just more Miriam Black short stories, but there was an update about a new Miriam Black book that just just hit Wendig's uh, page. I don't know, it was probably yesterday or two days ago at this point. Yeah, he put an update about um, uh, uh, basically like he did a rundown of everything that's coming up, and um, the next Miriam Black book is Thunderbird. So um, the publisher that was putting out the Miriam Black books, uh, I think, was bought by another publisher. So they re-released all of the, or they're in the process. I'm sorry of re-releasing all of the Miriam Black books, which um, basically, so there's a timetable for all of those existing three books to be released, and then. Um, following that timetable, Thunderbird comes out March of 2017. So 2016 will kind of continue the release, the re-release of the Miriam Black books. March 2017, we'll see Thunderbird. Um, and then he's got two other books planned, which I didn't even know about, that already have titles. So The Raptor and The Wren, um, potentially also in 2017. And he's got a book called Vultures, which is planned out for 2018. So, um, yeah, that's pretty awesome. I didn't know that there were so many books uh, coming out in the Miriam Black series. I was just excited for the fourth, and now we know, you know, five and six are in the plans, too, which is super exciting. And he's got a ton of other stuff coming out, too. So 2016's got another book in his Atlanta Burns series called The Hunt. He's got his second uh, Aftermath book called Life Debt in the summer. Invasive will be coming out in the fall. And then he's got another Star Wars book in 2017, too. So his plate is completely filled. That's what I was saying, man. That's that's some output right there. 
Homeboy's got like three books a year coming out. That's fucked up. That is good. That's good stuff. <laughs> that is that is fucked up or good. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Just imagine if you things. were responsible for making three books come out a year. I wouldn't want to do that. I uh, yeah, no, I no, no, I wouldn't want to do it either. It's insane. <laughs> I like, the, right. I like um, the new covers for the Miriam Black books too. They look really cool. I didn't see. Why didn't I see the covers? Maybe I was There's on the mobile fucking... site and they just weren't. All right. Somehow I missed the cool covers because I actually read the status update. But I'm wondering if it just shows up different, weird on the mobile site because mm-hmm. I remember yeah. being at work reading this. These covers are really fucking cool. Yeah. I do like these covers. I don't know though. In comparison to the old covers, eh, I don't know. Yeah, that Johnny. What is his name? Johnny Rocket or whatever. Yeah. I don't know, but those covers are... These are are cool in a different way. Yeah, His are a little more haunting. These are just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, color schemes and stuff on them are really, really nice. Um, All right, are we done? Are we done with Wendig for a while? No. No? No. (laughs) Okay. No, Goodreads Choice Awards, man. He's um, he's up... His aftermath is uh, in the science fiction category for Goodreads Choice Awards. Oh, maybe, maybe if he, maybe if he doesn't win that, maybe he'll win a huggo <laughs> for we, best we, Star Wars book. We might have to retire our jokes about the Hugo Awards. Oh, not until people retire science fiction. <laughs> well, if anybody's going to win the category, I want Wendig to win it. Yes, I would have to agree. But we we have another horse in that in that race too. Not specifically that one, but the horror category. Um, mm-hmm. If you haven't already cast your vote, which I did earlier today, A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay um, is uh, is in the horror category, as is Scarlet Gospels, which we also reviewed. But I'm pretty sure that both of our I already announced my vote, but I'm pretty sure your vote will probably lean towards uh, Paul Tremblay versus Clive Barker. Much as we appreciate and love Clive Barker, right? As much as I appreciate and love Clive Barker, I mean, I'm not I, sure what your level of appreciation is. <laughs> I understand the talent in a big way. I get it. Um, yeah, I'm going to say go ahead and vote for Headful of Ghosts. Paul Tremblay deserves it in such a big way. <laughs> um, very quietly, the passing of that live Exorcist show happened. Yeah, remember we talked about that, and it was a huge deal when it was announced. And I didn't see anybody; I didn't see it because it's on a channel that I don't have. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm going to tell you my story. So, um, where I work, it surprisingly, you would imagine this isn't the case, but there's not a big appreciation of books, or at least not the kind of books that we read. And um, so. I'm at work the other day, and, and these this group of people is like, oh, yeah, this live exorcist. And they, they're people who had watched the, the show, and they were talking about it. And I wanted to be like, hey, my friend wrote this book, and it deals with this. And then later, this TV show came out, so it's isn't that crazy? But I knew they'd just be looking at me like I was, like, a fucking idiot. So I was like, I didn't say anything, and I just hated them. I quietly hated them for not being smart enough to be in my conversation. <laughs> I am. Um... <laughs> I understand quietly hating people <laughs> better than you know. I I can't tell you the number of times where I want to make a joke or a reference, and I know that nobody and I just hate everybody around me for not knowing enough to understand <laughs> it. See, I, I have a I have a similar problem in that most of the people I work <laughs> with are considerably younger than me. <laughs> yeah. 
And there are those terrifying moments where you say something about Holland Oats and there's just <laughs> blank stares. Wait, who's terrified? Because you say that shit to me all the time and I'm terrified. I, listen, <laughs> I said something about Sanford and Son. I made a Sanford and Son reference. And God damn it, I was working with five people and I literally had to go around and ask all of them if they knew, if, if this meant anything to them. And one of them said, um, yeah, that's like a TV show or something, right? And everybody else was like, we don't know. We, I don't know what this is. I have, I have no idea what this is. Why are you doing this to yourself, man? You're doing it to yourself. I couldn't help it. See, so we, so we have, we have um, radio communication at work, right? So we talk on walkies. Yeah. So it, it's, it's like I can communicate with everybody in the building at the same time. And sometimes, you know, you'll just hear something or a customer will say something to you and, you know, you walk away and no one <laughs> who doesn't have a headset will hear this. Right. So, so you make some kind of comment and, and half the time I'm making it because it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> I just don't realize who my audience is at the time and that they not only may not find it brilliant, they might not find it at all. Like, it just doesn't mean anything to them. <laughs> it's it's the crazy ramblings of an old man like just talking to himself is what it turns out to be. Yeah, that's my life, man, but uh, I, I identify with that. It's so often that I'm just like, I just look at someone and I'm like, I have the fucking funniest thing to say right now and you're not going to understand it. And I actually say that to them and then they walk away. And now I'm wondering if there's a term for, okay, because pop culture really only references. Now I want you to think about this because for as long as you've been thinking about pop culture, you have to understand that the things you started thinking of as pop culture are no longer the pop part of culture. So at some point, if someone hasn't, they have to, they have to come up with, so we had oldies, right? That's, that's what the music was called. If it was, you know, what I was see when we were kids and we'd listen to, you know, whatever, whatever station was, that was playing it. Like there's almost gotta be a term for pop culture. That's like not pop anymore. Post culture, former pop culture. Yeah, post culture maybe. I don't. I don't know something, but because that's what it is. You know, Sanford and Son was pop culture. Hall and Oates were pop Fucking culture. Fucking fifty years ago. Yeah, yeah. Fucking fifty years ago. But yeah, it, it, in our minds, and in your mind too, if you reach back into your teen years, in your head, it's still pop culture because it was pop culture to you. Sure. So. Well, see now, I, I have things that are like current, but in such a small sphere like i'm almost a hipster with my jokes because it's like books that are coming out now and stuff like that but no one understands it because they don't read that shit because it's so you know because people don't read because they suck i was just gonna say it's because people don't read it's not just they don't read that shit yeah sometimes we cover indie presses self-pub you know what i mean and i get it when i tell someone i'm reading this or i'm reading that but there are names you throw out there that, that are a big deal that people should know and they don't because right. it's not Stephen King. So, nope. yeah. All right. If we're done, if we're done trying to rewrite pop culture, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start. Um, here's what I'm going to do, and then we'll move on. I'm going to start. I think I'm going to start taking like a journal of everything I thought was funny, so that some scholar like 200 years from now is going to be like, man, this guy really knew what he was talking about. And, like, maybe they'll think that that was pop culture, even though it wasn't. I was hoping more for you were going to keep a journal. At some point, we'd have a panel (laughs) where you just say things from this journal and we tell you if it's funny or not. That sounds even better. (laughs) We don't have to wait 200 years for the results. Oh, that could be, like, the fifth. If I I don't know. If we have, like, a fifth, 
anniversary episode or something if I have enough material by then. <laughs> we're going to have to work on this idea, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when we just work on ideas while we're talking in an episode. Uh, you know, yeah. it occurred to me today, so I came across this article, and it <laughs> occurred to me today... <laughs> That I see stuff like this all the time, but I only think we should talk about it on the podcast if it's if it's writer related, right? So I'm going to stop <laughs> doing that because I'm going to say this: it's about a writer, it's about a reviewer, but that's really not why I'm talking about it. <laughs> so there is uh, there was a Gawker article which you know, we mentioned Gawker, or actually Wendig mentioned Gawker, and then I mentioned it earlier, um, but Gawker being a um, aggregate kind of weird news bloggy site i don't even know how to describe gawker to people like i can tell people what some of the gawker sites are like lifehacker it's, it's, it's a news network that has um like topical um websites right yeah and it's it's written in a very bloggy kind of style so it's not reported yeah. like news is it's it's very opinionated at times and it, it's fun and gawker my... is not my gawker site but oh yeah, man. i do want fucking io9 when mm-hmm. true blood was on the air there was this chick meredith warner who did like episode recaps of true blood episodes those are brilliant probably the funniest shit i've ever read in my entire life those were absolutely brilliant but yeah io9 is their sci-fi site they've got one uh what's it called it's like junker or something it's cars oh jalopnik so they have jalopnik that's it yeah um like this junker one <laughs> junkers <laughs> are we buying that can you see if that's junker.com i'm gonna look at yeah. it right now yeah <laughs> here is the headline british writer tracks down teen who gave his book a bad review smashes her with wine bottle now i know people can hear the smile in my voice i'm, <laughs> I'm not so condoning in. attacking teenage girls with wine bottles that's really not what this is about but i do think that people should understand sometimes that there are repercussions <laughs> and i'm not I'm not siding with this guy. I'm not defending what he did, but I am saying I uh, I understand, and I am probably the kind of guy who now will look at wine bottles with a whole new respect. <laughs> um, this just in: GoDaddy says that Junker.com is available, but it's up for auction, and the current bid is ten thousand dollars. Get the f- no one is paying. Who the fuck is paying ten thousand? I find that all right. Let's take a step back. <laughs> Whoa, it's calm down. Bullshit. No, because this kind of stuff comes up. We've looked up other website names and stuff, and that's the whole thing. It is bullshit. There is no current bid of $10,000 for Junker.com. Somebody fucking owns Junker.com, bid $10,000 in hopes that someone outbids them and buys it from themselves or from them, if that makes sense. I'm pretty sure that's what's happening here. Well, you know, I'm the type of spiteful person that would just throw in a bid just to make that asshole pay more. Yep. And I have done it. Yeah. And that's you know what, and that's fair. When you see something that's bullshit like that, it's totally fair to do that. I don't have the ten thousand dollars to back it up though. I have won a couple of fucking eBay auctions <laughs> just from being pissed off about somebody. <laughs> you know me, right? There's fucking keep going, keep going, keep going. Oh shit, that guy's not bidding anymore. Fuck. Um, this guy. <laughs> I will read to you um, uh, the the first paragraph, I guess. A 28-year-old British man, most notable for his 2006 victory on the quiz show Countdown, tracked down a Scottish teenager who'd written a negative review of his self-published novel and shattered a bottle of wine on the back of her head. Richard Brit- Brittain, there's two T's in there, it's weird, Brittain, 
had posted an unfinished version of his book, The Word The World Rose, on Wattpad, an app where amateur writers post their stuff, blah, blah, blah. At any rate, she wrote a, 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 it was a pretty rough review, to be honest. And, and I'll quote a little bit from this review so um, listeners can get an idea. As a reader, I'm bored out of my skull and severely disappointed in what I might have paid for. Note, she read this for free and says she's disappointed in what she might have paid for. As a writer, albeit an amateur one, I'm appalled that anyone would think this was worthy of money. Not only does it begin with Once Upon a Time, which you could argue is perfect as this is a fairy tale and it doesn't work, it's incredibly pretentious, but it's filled with many writing no-nos, way too much telling, pretentious prose, and a main character that I already hate. Ella is the perfect princess, true to fairy tales, so we can at least give him a little credit despite how painfully annoying this is, coupled with a complete lack of real personality shining through. Yeah, but if it's true, no, no, and that's and that's 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 fine. I listen. We review books. I, I get it. You know how many but fucking wine bottles I would have been hit with by now? This motherfucker traveled five hundred miles <laughs> from from London, found her at the store. So I guess he went on her Facebook page, found out where she worked, went to the store, and while she was stocking a low shelf of cereal boxes, because very specific, he hit her. <laughs> from behind with a full bottle of wine leaving her unconscious with a gash on her head I am not supporting what he did but god damn it one day man I'm telling you I'm going to wind up doing this to somebody <laughs> someone talks shit I, about booked next thing you know I'm oh fucking bailing you out god. I'm trying I've to dig into the Patreon money to bail you out yeah, pretty much that's <laughs> why we actually have a Patreon fund we've never disclosed this before it'll probably be in our new video <laughs> bail money when I fucking go nuts and go after somebody, <laughs> I, I did. I read this and I'm like, oh god, I can't believe he attacked a, a child. I mean, a teen girl, right? But as I'm reading more and more of this, I'm, in my brain, I'm going, well, yeah, that's that's what happens. <laughs> like that's it started scaring myself a little bit. Man, you're not the only person who thought about that because the very first comment you see on the Gawker website and the, for the article is. If there's a problem that can't be solved with a wine bottle, I've yet to encounter it. <laughs> uh. This is gospel. Now, interestingly enough, and I don't know if I ever shared this with you because it's a terrible idea. And by terrible idea, I mean it's going to be a terrible waste of our time. Um, I'm familiar with Wattpad. I, I know what it is, and I, I've looked at it. I've never really used it. But I, people post whole novels on there, and one of the thoughts I had is, we should just fucking pull something off Wattpad one day and do a review. All right, I'm already not down with this. You know how much I hate the fucking wheel of meat. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But it did occur to me because apparently, I mean, I, I want to say Wattpad may have been where um, um, the, the Fifty Shades of Grey lady. Um, E.L. James. E.L. James. I think that might be where her stuff started. Ah. Well, that's not I a could fucking be wrong about endorsement that. I, in any way. Yeah, I, I know I know it was something similar to that. But I thought, yeah, if we randomly picked something of the 250-page length, what will we end up with off of, uh, you know, it's something like a wine bottle to the head? <laughs> Apparently. So, any rate. We can't yeah, afford that. We can't be down a week <laughs> in the fucking hospital <laughs> while we recover. <laughs> This guy, though, he just looks like a fucking douchebag, too. What, all right, I don't so think he's going to travel like 3,000 miles to kick my ass. A, he's a piece of shit. I'm just going to go ahead and say that right now. Anybody who would do that, massive piece of shit. B, what a pussy. Right? Can we call him yeah. a pussy? 
Yeah, he assaulted a woman and then didn't even have the 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 balls to just do it. You know, kind of face to face. Yeah, yeah not if you're gonna fucking okay, use anything, you know, use a whiskey bottle, right? Like a man would this, use. <laughs> this, this does remind me of a news story from um, many years ago, where a guy was in a in a, a restaurant and I, I don't know. I guess he was being a dick to the waitresses or something, and they just had a shift change and. He was frustrated because he had asked the previous waitress for for a bottle of ketchup, and, and I guess the, the the way it went, if I remember correctly, is the waitress leaving for the day said, "Hey, good luck with that guy. He's a fucking asshole or whatever." So the new his new waitress walks by and he says, "You know, excuse me, can I can I finally get a bottle of ketchup?" And she goes, "You can grab one. It's right over there." And gestures to where the ketchup bottle is, mm-hmm. and the guy went got a ketchup bottle and broke her jaw with it. That's a piece of shit right there. That's a, that's a slightly disproportional response to to can I can I have some ketchup? It's over there. But yeah, that was the first thing I thought about when this guy fucking assaults somebody with a wine bottle over yeah. um, a review. So there's like a very tiny part of me that wants to read the book just to give it a terrible review. But have you seen the what reviews? What if it's really good? No, it's not. <laughs> I can just tell you that right now. <laughs> have you looked at any of the reviews for this book? I I have not. Again, I, I caught this while I was at work, and it was pretty much all I could put into was reading the, the little article on it. I'm going to read you a couple. So I'm going to start yep. with the five-star reviews. A book that let's, inspired... Let's not, let's not name any names, because we don't want to be responsible for any more assaults. <laughs> a book that inspired a great pilgrimage... This is one of the most amazing romance novels I've ever read. The experience was mind-bottling. You know, what happens when your thoughts get all trapped up like in a bottle. I re... (laughs) (laughs) I reread this. (laughs) I reread this at the weekend while drinking a few glasses of Moet. What a welcome entry to the fantasy romance market by a well-traveled fellow Brit. Can I tell you mind bot? So I use, and people think I use it mistakenly, but I really like the concept of mind wobbling. <laughs> yeah. So I say mind wobbling, knowing damn well that's not what it is. But mind bottling is now entered my uh, my lexicon. <laughs> that, that's that's going into into moderate usage. All right, I got a few more five stars for you. A Richard by an uh, the title of this review, a Richard by another name is a dick. This is a knockout work in as much as there's a chance the author will track you down and knock you out, and he's a real piece of work. It's like the Grapes of Wrath, but only because, angry at what he perceived as a negative critique, the author assaulted a young woman with a bottle of wine, leaving her in need of stitches. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. He perceived it as a negative (laughs) critique? It was pretty clearly a negative critique. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think there was any perception there. Some of his depth perception putting that (laughs) bottle upside her head. Another five star, uh, the title Five Stars. I loved it. Please don't kill me. Um, yeah. So those are some of our five stars. And then the one star. I stars. am going to assume that none of these people read the book. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of negative shit. Um, I think people just kind of jumped on the bandwagon because Gawker is a, you know, a pretty mainstream popular website. There's five five star reviews, four of which are sarcastic. There's one two star review and fifty five one star reviews. 
Yeah. I, you know, I, I guess one of the... Um, I like the Amazon verified purchase for reviews because you get weird stuff like this. And you know what? That's fine. This guy's a piece of shit, whatever. But, you know, I still think reviewing someone's work based on their actions is a little off. And then you get just the, the, the joke reviews and, and they're funny and I enjoy them. I'd almost like to see only verified purchases get reviewed on Amazon because at least, you know, someone spent the money. Right. That doesn't mean they read it. That doesn't mean they didn't spend three bucks just to call you a piece of shit. But at least it's somebody who purchased it. On the flip side, um, you know, we purchase a lot of the books we review. There's a lot we don't purchase because they're provided to us by the author or by the publisher or whatever. And, and on occasion, I feel compelled to go write a review. And I am glad that I, I can, um, even if my purchase didn't come from from Amazon. So I don't know. But it's... It's a little weird. I mean, we talked about it on the show before. We found funny reviews for things. Remember the 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 honey bear? <laughs> oh yeah, that was good. Yeah, it was brilliant. But I mean, that's that's a product someone sells. You, you know what I mean? It should only get legit reviews. So I don't know. I didn't mean to get all serious on it, but that kind of stuff bothers me a little bit. Can can we just point out the fact that you got all serious on people writing ne- like <laughs> fucking fake negative reviews about a guy? Who fucking drove 500 miles to assault a woman with a bottle? That's when you're like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I would drive 500 far. miles and I would drive 500 miles. <laughs> you, this is why you're the bigot <laughs> apologist. <laughs> anyway, please, please don't assault your reviewers. And don't write negative reviews about booked. That's all I've got. <laughs> I don't know. Dude, I'll, I don't know. Yeah, don't don't re- negatively review us. But um, nope. I thought the five star, I thought the fake five stars were fucking good social commentary. That's what I'm gonna say. They are. Let's, let's be honest. This guy does not have a future in selling books. No, no, so he probably doesn't. In this case, it doesn't fucking matter what his reviews look like, and he deserves to be called out for being a piece of shit. He does. And going back and, and, you know, relooking, I didn't read her whole review. Everything I'm getting is from the Gawker article. But, yeah, we've seen reviews that are much harsher than that. Like yeah. legit reviews where, yeah. you know, so she gave her reasons for not liking it. And, and that's fair. That's fair. So um, if we under if we ever end up in in the United Kingdom over in England somewhere, right, that's where the that's where this guy is. We can yes. We can. Um, we'll do like a in-person interview and try and get him to fight us. Can we do that? <laughs> yes. And I'm looking at the guy, and, and I know he can't judge on this, but I'm pretty sure both of us could take him. <laughs> at least the two of us combined can take him. Well, why why leave anything to chance? See, I yeah, also yeah, I mean, don't. Huh, <laughs> there's, there's two of us, and there's one of him. That's might makes right, man. That's what I'm saying. Right. Right. Um, he did plead guilty. Do you remember if he got jail time? Did he get jail time? Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not sure. I'm assuming if you if you plead guilty, you're pretty much going to jail, right? There's really not a unless it's like a traffic ticket or something. I mean, this well, a this probably made pretty big news over there, and and b no, you can you can plead guilty and get um community service. I don't know how it works in England, but here you know community service or fines or time served if you spent you know a week or two weeks or whatever waiting for your trial or something along those lines. So who knows. All I'm going to say is this guy's not going to have an easy time now. Have you ever heard of the the Streisand effect? 
Oh, you know, that's yes, but I don't know what it is right now. The name's very familiar. It refers to, so there was apparently Barbra Streisand has this house in Malibu, and there was this one website that um, sold pictures, you know, like uh, photography. And they had a photograph, legitimately taken photograph of Barbra Streisand's house available for sale, and she happened to come across it. And um, at the time, it wasn't a photo that anybody really knew about or even bought. But she completely flipped out and, like, took them to court to try and get the photo taken down. And because she's a celebrity, it got a lot of news. And then suddenly everybody knew that this picture was there and were, were buying the picture. So the fact that she freaked out and brought attention to it was worse than if right. she had just let it go. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's a... So Streisand effect in this situation is... One person gives him a negative review, he freaks out and beats her with a bottle of wine, and now everybody is just, like, completely shitting on him. That's straight up Streisand effect right there. I am going to break character here for a minute. Um, <laughs> I did click on a link to find out if he got jail time, and I saw a picture of this girl and the stitches in her head, and there's really nothing even remotely humorous about this. Fuck this guy. Wow. Even the bigot Livius. Your, your heart grew three even sizes today. A little bit, yeah. I know it's going to burst out of my chest if I don't fucking reel it back in soon. <laughs> All right, here's what's coming up on book. There we go. Um, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> the Incurables by John Bassoff is going to be our next review. So that's going to be next week. Um, we reviewed Corrosion by John Bassoff. It's got to be two years ago now, right? Yeah. Something I think like everything's two years ago as far as the podcast goes, by the way. I don't know if you noticed. I just, that's the number I thought. It's two years ago. So. It's going to get more and more complicated because we're almost to five years. So we can say. Yeah. yeah I'm going to have to start saying three years ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's pretty everything. much what it's going to be. Yeah. So we're going to do that, which ties in very nicely to the fact that we are emceeing Noir at the Bar Chicago on November 21st. And that lineup. Um, is consists of Jay Kingston, who is the showrunner for Noir at the Bar Chicago, and our uh, our gracious um, patron who continues to have us on at these events, although we're not sure why. Um, John Bassoff, traveling from Colorado for this event. Um, Les Edgerton, um, who um, has only been on this show at, from a, a live reading previously in Indianapolis, uh, Noir, was the Noir at the Bar, Indianapolis, I yep. believe. Yeah, two and, two years two years ago, and we reviewed the rapist. Yeah, it was two years ago when that happened. Yes, yeah. yes. yep. And Frank Wheeler Jr., who has now appeared in two different um, Noir at the Bars um, that we have uh, recorded and then and then brought to you as listeners. So. Um, a great lineup. Uh, looking forward to it. It's on a Saturday night, which is a little weird for us because usually those are midweek. This one is on a weekend. Um, so hopefully we'll see a, um, a amazing turnout since um, nobody has to go to work the next day. Um, stop by, um, say hello, have a drink, do that stuff. And that is um, November 21st, uh, 10, 9 or 10 days from when you're hearing this. That's right. It's at 7.30 p.m. at the Independence Tap, 3932 West Irving Park Road in Chicago. So that's pretty much, that's pretty far west, actually, now that I think about it. You know, I, I'm sure I've passed that place because the name sounds so familiar, but yeah, I, yeah it is kind of west. 4,000 west, man. Huh. Is that even Chicago anymore? Is that Norwich? It's almost to the fucking highway. That's crazy. Yeah. 
Um, so new venue, we've been doing it at Sylvie's, changed it up a little bit, now it's at the Independence Tap, but 7.30 on a Saturday, it's going to be hopping, uh, Livius might be hopping, I don't know, promising some hopping. <laughs> yeah, hopping, fucking um, 100 happy days right there. Yeah, so come out to the live event, next episode in Curables, uh, we got some good stuff coming up in the next month or so with um, hopefully some more interviews. <laughs> More um, guests, more guests, please, more guests. We got, yeah, more guests we're going to be doing. You know we're doing that Christmas thing. Christmas. We are. We are definitely doing the Christmas thing. Extravaganza with a gift We have a book we're going to review. We're going to review a book on that episode. Yeah, Stupidest Angel, oh. Christopher Moore. Oh, I, I didn't know if we had actually mentioned it. Was that on the podcast that we yeah, mentioned? Yeah, I it? think so. Well, if not, it is now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, so we have that, um, which should be a lot of fun. Um, lots of great stuff coming up. Where can people keep up with uh, with all this great stuff? Where people can keep up with what we've got going on is definitely that fucking newsletter. So if you go to bookpodcast.com, you can sign up for our newsletter. You'll get a free copy of the booked anthology, 27 original stories by excellent authors who have been on the podcast, plus a, plus a couple of your editors. What else we got going on? Patreon. You can support us. You'll get early access. Usually get early access to our episodes, and um, we're going to be bringing some cool content to that soon as well. Yep. Like us on Facebook. Book Podcast Listening Group. I don't know. Book Podcast Listening Group. I got to <laughs> tell you, the listening group, man. That's one very quiet listening group. Is they're they're I, doing I think... a lot of listening. It's. I think you and I need to need to stir some shit up in there. I, I've been thinking about this, so. Uh, oh, we can talk. We can. Um, we have a phone number seven seven three five nine nine one zero five seven. Call us. Leave us a so, voicemail. <laughs> and and we'll listen to it. And I tell you because every time I go, oh, okay, what's this? And then I listen to it because um, <laughs> it's to find Walgreens. out whose prescription needs. To, yeah, who Walgreens is calling for somebody. Uh, so. unless you're Chris. Chris Wayland or whatever his name is. That's right. Those nice so. voicemails that we keep promising to play for people. And we've just had the longest episodes lately. We just haven't had time to put them on. Yep. But uh, maybe at some point we might keep, keep calling, keep calling. You know, we haven't heard from who used to call all the time. Sean Ferguson. You remember Sean Ferguson name? The name rings a bell. Yeah. He used to call all the time. So I don't know. He doesn't Sean, call. If you're out there, ring. give us a call. Sign a life, brother. Sign a life. All right, enough rambling. Until next time, I'm Livia Stedden. Now I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.